Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Hope you are helped today and hope we can really give you some more ammo to take it to the dispensationalists and the pre-tribbers as we just expose truth and that will reveal error and the errors of dispensationalism are just countless. And one of the big, massive, humongous errors, one of the biggest things that they get wrong is this idea of the time of Jacob's trouble. And they will arrogantly bring up the time of Jacob's trouble on a regular basis and use that as proof of a pre-tribulation rapture, proof of a seven-year tribulation, proof that the tribulation has nothing to do with the church and it's all about Israel. And it is just absolutely embarrassing what people will do with that. Just from that phrase, the time of Jacob's trouble. I mean, it says Jacob's trouble. It doesn't say the time of church's trouble. I mean, that's a literal argument people use. I've got, I've got it in books. I've seen it in print where they will bring that up. It's time of Jacob's trouble that proves it's all about Israel. And it's like, hold on, time out. Are you just assuming that no one in your audience has ever read the book of Jeremiah? Now, it's very possible that's the case. Are you just assuming that nobody knows the historical context, that no one has any idea what's going on? Because should we, is there any possible way to read Jeremiah 30 and get the things that people get out of it? Like a seven-year tribulation is one thing that people get out of it. You know, it's, it's amazing what people will pull from this passage. But let's go ahead and let's look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Let's see what it says about the time of Jacob's trouble and see if this proves anything these people are saying. And again, they, it's, they are assuming that we're all stupid and just ignorant of the book of Jeremiah. And, and again, maybe a lot of people are, but we're not all ignorant of it. So let's go through and see what it says. So Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all the faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And right there, that proves it. I mean, can't you just see that right there in this, it's obvious this is about something 2,500 years into the future, right? I mean, it's just... It's so obvious. You know, when Jeremiah gave this prophecy, you know, they all knew this is about something thousands of years into the future. Or, or do you think they might have thought that it was about something that was going to come in their day? Now, if we're not familiar with the book of Jeremiah, okay, I'm going to have to now speak as though you are not familiar with the book of Jeremiah because a lot of pre-tribbers will get mad when I say this isn't about something in the future. This was about something that was fulfilled roughly 10 years after it was given. Yes, this has already happened, happened a long time ago. 
and people are losing their minds right now. It's because they're not familiar with the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a long book, not going to be able to preach the whole thing. But in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a witness of the Babylonian destruction that came upon them. But understand, that was not a single event. The captivity was not a single event. There were kind of waves of that captivity. There was waves in that destruction that took place. It was not something that happened over a short period of time. It was something that happened over many years. And for many years, it was very obvious that uh, that judgment was coming, that destruction was coming. It was very obvious that Babylon was rising to power and it was going to be a problem for Jerusalem and, and for Judah. And one of the things that we see in, in Jeremiah that's interesting, I preached a sermon about this a long time ago, but uh, one of the things that they did during that time, they got very caught up in mirth or entertainment. And it was as, it was as if, and it was, that they were, it was like they instinctively knew we are in trouble and destruction is coming, but they didn't want to do anything about it because it would have meant bloodshed. It would have meant work, sacrifice, difficulties. So everyone just ignored it. And the prophet's calling them out for that stuff. Kind of like what's going on in America right now. One of the signs of a nation that is on the verge of destruction is the people are obsessed with entertainment. Why do they need this entertainment so much? It's because we instinctively know we cannot continue on this path that we are continuing on. Something needs to change, but it will be very difficult for that change to take place. And so people, instead of taking action and doing the difficult thing that will result in loss of life and bloodshed, you know what they do? They typically ignore it and just entertain me. Let's watch the Avengers. Let's see what's going on with the Kardashians. You know, let, let's go get, let's go watch someone else's problems that's going to get solved in a couple hours where the good guys always win. So we don't have to think about the reality of what is around us. And there's all, and there's always prophets trying to wake people up. And Jeremiah was one of those prophets trying to wake the people up, but they were ignoring what was going on around him. They were in denial of the, of what they were surrounded by. And so this destruction, it kind of came in waves. So when we are in chapter 30, understand the temple has not been destroyed yet. It isn't to that point yet. Not everyone has been taken captive yet. This was something that happened over many years. But it was but Jeremiah was doing his job as a prophet and he's warning people about what is to come and this time of Jacob's trouble was something that was about to come and came roughly 10 years later when they went came through and destroyed Jerusalem destroyed the temple that that's that's what took place but for some reason people are reading this prophecy and it's like all oh, it's all 2500 years in the future no it's not 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 even close that has that has nothing to do with it and I'll prove that here in just a little bit so uh we see that reference to the time of Jacob's trouble but Jacob shall be saved out of it and it says for it shall come to pass in that day saith the lord that I will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more uh, shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, 
Though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So when you look at that there, you say, well, all those other things didn't take place. I mean, Israel didn't dwell safely after that when they got restored to the land. Uh, you know, David didn't become their king. There's a lot of things that we see that did happen, but there's a lot of things also that did not happen as well. I will I will concede that. And so what pre-trivers do is they if they see anything that has not been fulfilled yet, then they make it like all of it is still to be fulfilled in the future. But let me show you how foolish that is. Okay? Let me show you how how foolish and reckless of a of an interpretation that is. And let me do this with a prophecy that I think we will all agree on something I think we'll all agree in what it is saying, what it's teaching. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. Let me show you something about Bible prophecy and how it works. So in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10, well, let's start in verse 14. We all know this verse, one of the most popular uh, prophecies. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Does anyone want to try to argue with me about what that's about? That's about Jesus. Now, that was it was hundreds of years later before that prophecy was fulfilled. But folks, we have it from Matthew himself that when Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that that was the fulfillment of what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And he quoted that prophecy without a doubt. I do not believe a virgin conceived and bore a son in Isaiah's day. I don't believe that. But I do believe that part was fulfilled hundreds of years later. But let's go read the rest of this prophecy. Because again, was Isaiah just giving a random prophecy to Israel uh, for something that was going to happen hundreds of years later, had nothing to do with that day? No, the prophets were sent to tell them things in that day that they needed to know for that day. And so let's go and see what this prophecy is all about because we're going to see Uh, something too that really can create some problems if you're a dispensationalist. And if you interpret the way, if you interpret this prophecy, the way you interpret your Jeremiah prophecies and many others. So Isaiah 7.10 says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of the Syria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost parts of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And we'll stop reading right there. But notice this was a prophecy to Ahaz. And the prophet who was king of the northern kingdom of Israel during that time. 
Uh, I, I, I believe I believe that was about the Northern Kingdom. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, don't don't quote me. But anyway, during King Ahaz's reign, the prophet goes to him and tells him, the Lord Himself is going to give you, or, or He says, ask a sign. He said, I'm not going to ask a sign. He said, Well, the Lord's going to give you a sign. That's what he tells him. The Lord's going to give you a sign. And he basically is giving a timeline is what's going on in that prophecy. And in that timeline, he's basically saying a virgin is going to conceive, bear a son. I'll call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall you eat. You know, before he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land shall be forsaken of both her kings, referring to Israel and Judah. And sure enough, that happened not long after that, not many, I forgot how many years it was exactly, after that prophecy was given. And let me say it this way. In the time that a woman who was a virgin that day, from the time it would take for a woman who was a virgin to conceive, I don't believe one conceived without the use of a man during that time, but a, a woman who was a virgin could have been with a man, conceived, bore a son, and before he had reached that age where he understands good and evil, the land lost both of their kings in Israel and Judah. And that's exactly what happened. You go back and look at the stories, that is exactly what happened in roughly that timeline. It's not an exact amount of years. The land lost both their kings. That was the primary focus of that prophecy. It was about something in that day. But yet, do we need to look for the land to lose both their kings in the days of Christ? No. What's going on is during this time when the prophet is giving some terrible news about terrible destruction and terrible judgment that's going to come on Israel and Judah, he also includes a messianic prophecy that's about Jesus Christ. But so, you know, the thing is, it's okay for you to take, do like Matthew did and take just the verse that was fulfilled and apply that to what happened in Christ's day. You know what you shouldn't do? Take the rest of that and apply it to Christ's day. And that's how it is with many of the prophecies about the time of Jacob's trouble where the Babylonians came through. There are messianic prophecies also included in there. But we don't need to look for those things that were already fulfilled to be fulfilled again. We don't need to look for Israel to be taken captive and restored to the land again. That already happened. Those things already took place. And so uh, people are being very inconsistent in their interpretation of these prophecies when they go and they take prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And just because we don't see Jesus Christ returning, we say, well, no, none of that prophecy happened. That's inconsistent. Because you know what? Though the prophecy that Isaiah prophesied it happened, the, the land lost both their kings in that day. And you know what? People didn't need to go and say, well, you know what? I didn't hear about any virgin births. Therefore, the prophet was wrong. No, the prophet was right. The prophet was right. And you know what? Eventually, that virgin-born son did come with Jesus Christ. And so when we see prophecies about the, the time of Jacob's trouble that already happened, and we see messianic prophecies, it's okay for us to say, hey, the time of Jacob's trouble already happened, but there's still some messianic things that are still to come. It's, it's okay for us when we see prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem 
that happened in 70 AD, but we also within those prophecies see prophecies about the return of Christ, it's okay for us to say, hey, the destruction of Jerusalem already happened exactly like Jesus said. And you know what? We're still waiting for Jesus Christ to return. It's not inconsistent. It is consistent. Let's, we should always, when we're looking at prophetic scriptures, we should ask ourselves, what did it mean for them in that day? And typically, there was a message for them in that day, but also included future messianic things that we're still waiting for. But you know what I'm not waiting for are the things that were already fulfilled. And let me tell you something. In Jeremiah 30, he talks about uh, turning again to captivity of Jacob. He talks about them being restored to their land. Those things are are fully mentioned. He's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave thee altogether unpunished. There's a lot of these things, sure enough, did take place. And let me just show you an example of where that happened. Um, Psalms 85. Okay, Psalms 85. Let me get that up on the screen for you. But I'll show you that the captivity, the restoration already happened. Here it says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. And I I don't want to take the time to expound too much on that, but basically what's happening in Psalms chapter 85, God has returned them to their land. This was a Psalm that was written after the time of the captivity, during the time around Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah's day. And if you remember those stories, when they started rebuilding the walls and they started rebuilding the temple or the, they ended up facing opposition and the work ceased. The work ceased for I forgot how many years it was. And then God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to come along and basically tell them, hey, it's time to get back to work. And they did. They they went back to work. The temple was rebuilt. But there was a period of time there in Psalms 85 after God had turned back their captivity where they were kind of stuck in limbo. And they were sitting around like, wilt thou not revive us again? Thy people may rejoice in thee. Um. God had already turned back their captivity. God had already brought them back to the land. They were just in disobedience during that time. And thankfully, the prophets came along and they got to work and they got the temple rebuilt. But they didn't do it right. They still didn't follow the instructions. They didn't do anything they were supposed to do. And when Messiah came, he rejected them because they they were disobedient and they never accepted him. They never believed on him. But I show you all that to just show you that the the return from that captivity, it was fulfilled. It already happened. And what, But what constantly happens is pre-tribbers, they read pro- prophecies about the captivity and they act as though it, you know, or, uh, or about the restoration and they act like it's all something that's in the future. No. Just because there are messianic prophecies in there, just because too, there might even be things that you could consider millennial things in there, does not change the fact that no, there were timelines given for those things and those things came to pass. But they want to make everything about that. You know why? Because they're still obsessed with a nation that God destroyed. And they're obsessed with the arrival of the new fake beast version of that. And that is not right. 
And so notice in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, okay, because let me, uh, I, I know what a lot of the objections to this would be. And so I'm going to try to cover some of them. But after we have that time of Jacob's trouble, it says in Jeremiah 37, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now that is, that uh, roughly reminds me of another passage in Daniel chapter 12. Let's look what it says in Daniel chapter 12. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that should be found written in the book. And then we have a prophecy about the resurrection in there. And so let me say it this way, okay? That passage right there was prophesied after the Babylonian captivity, after the time of Jacob's trouble. So Daniel 12 is not talking about the time of Jacob's trouble, but it is talking about a time of trouble that there's going to be none like it. For Israel, okay? Y'all understand that? For Israel. And I do believe in dual fulfillments. But understand, the time of Jacob's trouble was primarily about something that was about to come and rough, came roughly 10 years later upon Jerusalem. In Daniel chapter 12, it was about something that was going to come way into the future. Okay? Several, uh, a few hundred years, four, four or five hundred years, whatever it was. And I believe that was, uh, you know, so I think Jeremiah alludes to that time. But in Daniel 12, when it talks about a time, like no trouble, it doesn't say Jacob's going to be delivered. Jacob was delivered from the captivity and restored to the land. And the pre-trippers will tell you, you know, Jacob, that's his unsaved name, you know, but Jacob is going to be restored and then he's going to become Israel. He's going to get saved and they do all that weird stuff. No, Jacob got restored to the land from the captivity like Jeremiah prophesied about. In Daniel 12, it gets a little more specific and it talks about a time of trouble, but there's also a promise of deliverance for those who, whose names are written in the book. Now, let me just show you something to prove to you that that cannot be talking about Israel or Jacob or an ethnicity. Okay, let, me, let me show you some proof of that in Psalms chapter 69, another prophetic passage. Psalm 69, 21 says, and don't try to tell me this is about the Romans because Paul used it and applied it to Israel. And, and so it says, they gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. And they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded, add iniquity to, unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteousness. Righteous, but I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. So notice in this prophecy that was about the Jews. You know what David said? Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be written with the righteous. So Daniel chapter 12, that also prophesies about this time of trouble coming for Israel, 
also contains a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the resurrection, but the ones who find deliverance are going to be those whose names are written in the book. Now, when that time of trouble came for Israel in 70 AD, understand Israel had not believed on Christ. They had not repented of their unbelief. They had rejected their Messiah. And you want to know how many Jews got delivered in that time of tribulation, in that time of trouble, like there never was? Zero. You want to know how many Christians were killed during that time, according to history? Zero. The Christians had all leapt. The Christians had all escaped when they saw the signs that Jesus warned about in the Olivet Discourse. They had gotten out of there and Jerusalem was destroyed, and it was. It was a time like no other, just like Jeremiah foreshadowed, and just like Daniel described in Daniel chapter 12, without a doubt. And Jesus talked about that in the Olivet Discourse, and that destruction on Jerusalem came in that generation. You say, but where is the where is the return of Christ in 780? That hasn't happened yet. Just like the virgin birth did not happen during the days of Ahaz. The many, many of those prophecies about doom and gloom and destruction also contain messianic prophecies about things way in the future. But understand, we get some clarification in Daniel. Those who are going to be delivered are going to be those whose names are written in the book. And Israel, because they never repented, they were not delivered. They were destroyed. And for us to now look for a fulfillment of those things in an ethnicity, in a nation that has already been destroyed, and in an ethnicity when the Bible does not, when you know the new, under the new covenant it does not work that way. We are of one blood. There is neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. I mean, it's just it's amazing how much people, scripture people want to throw out to try to prove that. It's absolutely insane. It, it's it's nuts. And just understand, I do believe the things that were fulfilled were fulfilled and aren't going to happen again. The things that were not fulfilled, they will happen in the future with Christ and with his people. Not an ethnicity, with those whose names are written in the book. I believe one day that just like Israel went through a time of trouble, I believe one day this world is going through a time of trouble, a time of judgment. The Bible tells us that judgment must begin at the house of God. I believe Israel got their judgment first. The house of God was destroyed during that time. And I believe one of these days, the rest of the world is going to be judged for what they have done with the gospel. And we see, according to the book of Revelation, that there is going to be a time that just like Israel refused Jesus as the Messiah during their day, that a day is coming where the world is going to unite in rejection against Jesus Christ and unite with a fake Christ, an antichrist, the beast. And I do believe a temple is going to be rebuilt. And that will be the world, and I believe the world will support it, be behind it, and it will be the world spitting in the face of Jesus Christ and spitting in the face of his sacrifice. I can't even think of a greater abomination than for Christians, Jews, anyone in this world to unite in building another temple when Jesus finished all those things and destroyed the first temple. I believe it will be the most wicked thing that we've ever seen since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I believe the world will unite around it. And those who are of faith, those who are, whose names are written in the book 
We're going to go through a time of trouble, but you know what? We're going to be saved out of it. God's going to save us out of it because our names are written in the book. Not because we're better than the Jews. No, but because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Jews tried finding cleansing in those animal sacrifices, and it didn't work. They tried finding deliverance everywhere except for through Jesus Christ, and it didn't work. Christians today, true believers today, we are saved, and we understand we are saved because we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have claimed his sacrifice as ours. We've claimed him as our high priest, and his blood has cleansed us from our sins. And I do believe a time of global trouble is going to come. I believe those events that we saw in 70 AD and even in Jeremiah 30, you could say those were foreshadowings of problems, troubles and difficulties and tribulation that is going to come on all of the world. But all of those prophecies we looked at, Jeremiah 30, Daniel 12, Matthew 24, that was all about Jerusalem. Uh, but in Revelation, we read about judgment coming on all the world, tribulation coming on all the world. And there will be people saved this time, a new covenant people, not an ethnic group a people of all ethnicities, a people of every language and nation and tongue, like we see in Revelation chapter 7, that what we had in common was one thing. We had put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he saved us out of those things. And so finding fulfillment in the ways people are trying to today is nothing but uh, theology that was birthed from the bowels of hell, and it is not going to come from an ethnicity. It's not going to come through the Jews it's going to come through God's people. It's going to come through Jesus Christ. And so the time of Jacob's trouble already happened. The time like no other, it already happened. But did Jesus Christ return and deliver his people yet? No, that hasn't happened. But it will. But it's not going to be Jews. It's going to be those who are saved. It's going to be believers. So um, we are not obligated to try to force certain specifics from Jeremiah 30 into our timeline. It's ridiculous to even try to do that. It is ridiculous to try to force the events of Jeremiah 30 into future events. It was as it would be. It would have been, too, for people in, in Ahaz's day to try to claim that that prophecy was not fulfilled because a virgin never gave birth. No, they didn't have to. No, that prophecy about the land being forsaken of both their kings, it was fulfilled. That was fulfilled, but the virgin birth did come later. The prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem, about the captivity, about the restoration, they've all been fulfilled. But you know what? There are messianic things that are still to come, and we're looking forward to those things. Nothing I have said is inconsistent. In fact, it is completely consistent with prophecies that have already been fulfilled. What pre-tribbers are teaching is a whole new way of fulfillment of prophecy that is inconsistent with everything we've ever seen fulfilled in the scriptures. And so we don't need to do that. We are not required to do that. Just get over your pre-trib doctrine, get over your obsession with an ethnicity. They can't prove their lineage. It's a big waste of time. So I hope this was a help to you. I hope you now have a better understanding of the time of Jacob's trouble already happened. Wipe that off timeline. Stop putting Daniel's 70th week on your stinking seven-year tribulation timeline and the time of Jacob's trouble. That is, that's a larkin thing. That is not a Bible thing. So thank you for watching this. God bless you. We'll see you all next time.